Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we're grateful for that opportunity to spend some time in your word and um, to find joy in it and laughter, um, to tease ourselves, uh, Lord, and to recognize uh, your faithfulness in it all and to see it uh, as something, though it, though it may come with a warning, um, even more so it comes with encouragement. Though it may come and convict us, it doesn't convict us without also bringing us hope and forgiveness and a reminder of your love for us in Jesus. And so we pray that uh, we can set aside those things that are on our mind right now, whether it's something that happened this weekend or stuff that's coming up this week or whatever, that we can just set it aside and clear our mind and, and just listen to you so that your word forms and shapes us as your people and prepares us for tomorrow. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's look at the text. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. All right, uh, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And I'll give you the context of the verse in a minute after I read it to you. Um, but first, let me give you um, this from uh, the gospel. Chapter 12, 22 through 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Makes me think of back-to-school shopping, right? <laughs> For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet, what? God feeds them, right? And how much more valuable you are than birds, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider then how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, <laughs> you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. That's what the pagan world runs after, those things. Your Father knows you have need of them. So seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you what? The kingdom, right? So, disciples... Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right. So Luke chapter 12. This comes in a section of scripture titled Warnings and Encouragements. Sounds a little bit ominous, right? warnings in encouragement encouragements but thankfully right we as the church know how this story ends right Christ uh, triumphant Christ victorious Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior who cares enough about you and me so much so that even as he speaks specifically to the disciples today in the text in this passage you and I can still receive from him we can learn we can grow 
uh, we can live in that forgiveness and life that he brings to us as his people. So let me give you the context then. All right, Luke chapter 12 has 59 verses. Yeah, that's quite a bit, right? Um, We're not obviously going to go through all of them. Um, But the text itself begins with this phrase from verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. The text tells us thousands upon many thousands were gathered to hear Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He focuses on the disciples. He focuses on those around him in that small circle as individuals. So I hope right from the beginning, despite the fact that the sheer numbers uh, may dissuade us of God's concern for us, the reality of it is that he's concerned about you. He is invested and involved in your life and pays attention to you and your needs more so than you and I could ever imagine. He's not distracted by the thousands upon thousands of onlookers but gives himself over to focusing on us because that's his character. That's his nature. And he says to the disciples, little do you know, okay, because remember we're in Luke 12, that we're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem and my hour, though it is not yet come, is coming and I need to prepare you for what I'm going to do, for what I'm going to ask you to do in response to what I do for you. So in preparation, he launches into a series of imperatives. There's 10 of them in this little section of Scripture. And these imperatives really are meant to address uh, priorities for disciples and those anxieties or worries uh, that we might experience as we sell all that we have, so to speak, to follow Jesus. As we surrender all that we are, so to follow Jesus. As we give away, you know, all that we have to follow Jesus. These everyday types of worries we wrestle with common just to making life work, right? a daily provision, the daily necessities, um, and why we as the people of God can entrust the daily (laughs) to his love and to his lordship. So what happens then, there's sort of like two levels here at the text. First, he's addressing the disciples and what's ahead for them specifically, right? Because remember, he called them, he said, come follow me. Right? And they leave their fishing nets, and they leave their homes, and they leave um, their families. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? And he's going to send them out into the world. And guess what? They don't have a lot with them, do they? <clears throat> so he's got to assuage any fears that they have about those needs being met. But then I think, secondly, we can draw out of this an additional lesson on worry for you and for me as the people of God. As we go out in, into the world and, and, and witness to the world about the love and provision of God. Like, as an example, if you were to go and read all of chapter 12, you would see that the section which precedes this section is the story of the wealthy farmer who's made so much money and so much grain, he doesn't know what to do with it, and so he decides, well, I'm going to go ahead and build a bigger silo to store all my additional grain, and and I'm going to sort of covet my money that I've got, right? So instead of giving any of it away... He's going to build bigger barns and storage houses for himself. And in that particular text, if you were to read through the story, um, 
Jesus calls him a fool, right? And says in the story that death sort of hangs over the man and says, you fool, tonight your very life will be required of you. So, we, what I mean, so we've got a guy who's worried because he's got too much and doesn't know what to do with his surplus, right? Just before this section. And so in contrast, in this section, then we have the disciples who are tempted to worry because they didn't have enough. They'd given up all they had in order to follow Christ. They were living by faith. And Jesus gives them this preview of what is to come for them, that their faith will be tested. Okay? Don't miss that. Because as much as this text is for the disciples, as I said earlier, sometimes our faith is tested too, just as sometimes their faith was tested. So what I want you to do then is to think about in the context of worry. All right? Worry. Now, in this particular case, of course, this is the material things of life. Food and shelter and clothing and relationships. And how chasing after those other things, first and foremost, will compete with our loyalty of following Jesus. Will compete with the, with the sort of mission he's given to us as individuals in the church to share his love. And even though I do believe that there are, are scriptures which address, say, more deeper anxiety disorders that we experience, right? Um, deeper worriers, deeper worries that we possess. This particular text, first and foremost, is addressing that pull between two worlds that we feel as followers of Christ. Uh, the focus on accumulating and building our earthly kingdom versus accumulating and building our riches in heaven. See, Jesus is reminding the disciples, and by extrapolation, reminding you and me, that unless he becomes a priority for our life of faith, that if we spend all our time accumulating or worrying about accumulating and ignore our relationship to him, that this worry then creeps into our lives and causes us to place false hope in the things of the world to provide the safety and the security, to provide um, um, uh, what we need to, to fill that, that hole in our heart. We might think we're following him, but the reality of it is we're not. And so think about it this way. Let's, let's put it in the context of, of worry as a sin for this particular uh, text, okay? How does the sin manifest itself uh, in our lives. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to have uh, three parts for you. The first is this. One, worry is destructive. Okay, worry is destructive. The word translated in uh, verse 22, anxious, means to be torn apart. Okay, sometimes we can be so worried that it tears us apart. And, and the phrase in verse 29, of doubtful mind means to be held in suspense that is unable to move or to make a decision. It, there's a picture that, that Luke presents in sort of the language that he uses. You can, you can paint it in several different ways. It can be a ship tossed about in a storm. You know, if you want to use a modern term, it could be waffling. It's a, basically a picture of instability. That worry is destructive enough to cause instability and a lack of focus. 
I thought this was, here's a little bit of pub trivia for you, which I think is kind of interesting. So there's an old English word, it's of Anglo-Saxon origin for the word worry, uh, that means to strangle. (laughs) Think about that. Think about worry and its potential, if you will, to strangle. Author and a Gentile survivor of the Holocaust, uh, Corey Ten Boom, said this, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Which reminds me of Jesus' words, Do not worry about tomorrow, for today has enough trouble of its own, right? But worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. All right, so worry is destructive. Number two, worry is deceptive. It gives us a false view of life, of itself, and of God. Uh, Worry convinces us that life is made up of what we eat and what we wear. We get so concerned about the means that we forget the end. What is the end for the Christian? Matthew 6, 33. Let's read this together. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You hear the promise at the end? As we as followers of Jesus Christ seek after the things of God, first and foremost, these other things are added to us at the end. Those things that we need. Those things that we value. Those things that the Lord knows are important for us. And then that next slide. How about this? There's a great difference between making a living and making a life. great difference between making a living and making a life. You see, worry blinds us to the world around us and the way God cares for his creation, the way he cares for you and me. If God makes the flowers beautiful, Jesus said, um, and he even feeds those unclean ravens who have no ability to, to sow and reap on their own, so we ought to be able to care for you and me, right? He ought to be able to provide for us as the people of God. But worry blinds us, if you will, to life because we can actually get in a place where we think that worry accomplishes good, right? Luke verse 25 of chapter 12, Jesus points out that our worries do not add one extra minute to our lives, right? How many of you have lost sleep at night, right? I love what the psalmist writes, though, in Psalm 39, verse 5. The psalmist says that worry cannot add one extra inch to our height. (laughs) Boy, if that's the case, I would have been worrying, worrying my, you know, just so I could grow taller. Go back to that idea of the rich farmer, though, right? Who doesn't know what to do about all his wealth, right? And I know you'd say, I sure wish I had that problem, right? Think about it this way, of the rich farmer, all right. He frets and frets, right? But it doesn't lengthen his life at all. In fact, again, as I said, the text tells us uh, his life is taken away like that. Uh, So really what happens is worry robs us. It takes away from us this joy of faith and this peace and encouragement that comes to us as followers of Christ as we entrust our lives fully to Christ. Think about it this way. Go back to the text. Recall the text. What Jesus does in the text is he argues from the lesser to the greater. 
What do I mean by that? Well, if God feeds the birds, right, is he going to provide for you and me? Yeah, he's going to surely feed his children, right? The birds being lesser and you and me being greater, right? If he beautifies the, the plants that grow up one day and are, and are cut down the next, surely he will clothe his own people, right? So the problem then is not his little power. He can do anything. I mean, if he can, he's not much of a God. The problem the text confronts us with is our little faith. And as he sends them and us into the world to bear witness to his love, we have examples in our life to share with others, right? And this is kind of where the, the, your memory starts to, to work. And perhaps you can point to a time in your life where, you know, things were tight. And God provided in a way which, you know, blew you away. And those times in which God provides for us uh, and in the ways he provides for us, whether it's from some individual or through the church itself or through some agency, is a way that the church can testify to the world that God meets the needs of his people. To share with someone who is struggling is a tremendous encouragement to them. And, you know, to be honest, it's good practice for you and me, right? I mean, I know we don't want to be in that position where we're in need, right? But the reality of it is sometimes that happens in life. And when it does, it tests our faith. Also, think about it this way. Treasures in heaven, that's at the end of the text, if you remember that. Treasures in heaven are not grave goods, okay? Think of the Egyptian pharaohs, right? They, they pack their tombs with stuff. The Vikings pack their tombs with stuff, right? They think they're taking it with them, right? Treasures in heaven are not grave goods, but instead, treasures in heaven, first and foremost, is Christ. <laughs> and then the gifts that Jesus has to offer you and me in our life of faith. So first he offers himself. That's the greatest treasure we could ever receive. He offers us life. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us mercy and power. This amazing, generous list uh, for you and for me for all eternity, a, a list which far surpasses all that we will ever leave behind. There may be warnings in this text, right? But that will never supplant the hope and the truth of Jesus himself, right? All right, last one. Worry is deformative, right? Deformative. It keeps us from growing, if you will. You want to put it that way. It makes us more like the unsaved world. You remember uh, verse 30 of Luke 12? Uh, Jesus says, For the pagan world runs after all such things, but your Father knows that you have need of them. Again, it's the pull. It's the people of God even facing the choices that the pagans face is what Jesus is saying, right? So how can we witness to a lost world and encourage them to put faith in Jesus if we ourselves are doubting God? If we're worrying, chasing after the stuff of the world, I think it's pretty inconsistent to preach faith, but not to practice it, right? We trust Christ for our forgiveness and salvation. I mean, that's amazing. 
and yet we struggle to trust him for our provision. So let me put it in the question this way then. How do we win over worry? All right, if you want to look at it that way. Well, first step is this, I think. Uh, God knows our needs so we can trust him. Uh, the text tells us we are his sheep, his little flock, children of his family, and servants of his kingdom, and he promises that our needs are fully met. It's his pleasure, the text tells us, to give us his kingdom, his kingdom. I mean, think about that. And, and perhaps that's tough to grasp. It's his pleasure to give us his kingdom. Not a little slice of it, right? Not a, uh, not a, a one-time card to visit, right? But to give us his kingdom. And so if he promises to give us his kingdom, will he not give us everything we need? Romans 8.32, right? He who did not spare his own son, which was his first gift to us, but gave him up for us all, what's the rest of the text say? How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us what? All things. Not some things, not a few things, but all things. So, let me ask you this. What are the needs that you have? Now, you may, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, all the time I'm praying, Lord, help me, give me discernment between my needs and my wants, right? My needs and my wants. You know, what are my needs and my wants? But have you laid out your needs specifically before the Lord in your time of prayer? Have you put them down on a list, right? Have you laid them out before the Lord? Have you asked him to, again, help you see those differences between needs and wants? Wisdom. Have you, have you sought his wisdom to say, Lord, where am I on track following you versus perhaps maybe where I'm being pulled by the world? You see, God's pleasures, as the text tells us, and our treasures are meant to go together. We can look at earth from heaven's point of view with God's kingdom first in our lives. The text ends with this, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You all have probably heard that a lot. So put that in the form of a question for yourself. Where is your heart? If our hearts are fixed on transient things of earth, then we're going to always worry. But if we're fixed on the eternal, then God's peace is promised to us to guard our hearts and minds. Let me share with you a couple of verses from Philippians as we close it up. Let's just do uh, these, um, these two verses, 6 and 7. Why don't we read this as a congregation? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty powerful text, isn't it? And then, once you show the, the last, the second verse, let me show you. See that last verse after nine, and the God of peace will be with you, Paul. Paul goes on to describe that when we have this attitude and this posture, um, the God of peace will be with us. So the God of peace not the worry of the world. The God of peace, not the worry of the world.
Which would you rather have? In Jesus' name, amen.